Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky join tonight in, I, I think, appropriately dramatic fashion, kind of shrouded in darkness with beautiful lighting. I mean, this is it's a very Hollywood thing uh, from our friend from The Hollywood Reporter, Scott Feinberg. He is their awards guru, hosts the Awards Chatter podcast at The Hollywood Reporter. Um I'm I'm not kidding when I say this. Like this is the most dramatic lighting that anybody has ever showed up on the late night happy hour with. It's I can fantastic. tell you it's it's uh it's just the way it worked out. It wasn't too planned. I killed the lights behind me and I guess this is I mean, but uh, you know it, yeah. it is uh right now it is mank season. So this, this is right. very citizen cave lighting was, you got going on. This was on right the now. next best thing to black and white. Exactly. I mean it's, it wasn't planned in the sense that I just happened to have people near me who specialize in lighting and I brought them in and all that, but like they were going to be here tonight. It was anyway. socially distanced, absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it looks it, it makes the whole thing look like a Laker game, which we well, which we're excited to get back going uh this yeah. weekend where uh, you know the the stage lighting where it's dark in the back and you focus on what matters. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan and I appreciate you guys inviting me. A um, lot we want to get into tonight. Um, there's a, a, actually been a ton of kind of really important industry news that's that's come out over the last week, which hopefully you can help explain yeah. to us. Including news um, you reported today. Yes. Um, about uh, what the Oscars, at least who's going to be behind whatever this show is going to be. I, we have a lot of questions about the Oscars this year, both from what it's going to look like and like what is going to be in it, <laughs> like from movie standpoint. Join the join the group, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we have a little bit of a sense now, and even based on who they hired today for you know to be the producers, we can read a little into that. But whenever you want to get to that, um, but and, and and then the other thing though too is, and this is a uh, kind of a, 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 maybe even a good place to start. Um, you, you have, um, some, some really interesting stuff with Kobe, um, around his Oscar that he, that he won, um, which we'll get to in a second. But I, I, the other guy who is talked about in entertainment and it actually is relevant a little bit with the Warner brothers and HBO and all that stuff. The, the news that came out is LeBron James Absolutely. and space jam. Um, because you know, Andy, everybody laughed, you know, oh, LeBron's just here to do Hollywood. He doesn't care about basketball anymore and all that. turns out he still does. Yeah. He's pretty still, good at still it. Still has a little to offer. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean that the other stuff isn't important as well. So can you, can you kind of give us an update? Like what's going on with Space Jam? Because it's kind of gotten caught up in all the pandemic stuff too. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I haven't uh, been keeping too close a tab on that, but I will mm -hmm. say that, um, you know, he is a very savvy guy, even with... Uh, you know, his, his docu-series that was on Quibi, may it rest in peace, was very much in the running for an Emmy. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's got a hand in a lot of things in the way that late in his life, I think Kobe was beginning to. And so um, I, I think he's sort of taken uh, lessons from MJ, from Kobe, from Shaq, who was one of the earlier, you know, branding gurus and remains to this day, you know, very, um, I think savvy at, at that stuff. So um, I, I have no doubt that it will, you know, long after his playing days are over, he's going to, he's going to be a force in town, just like, you know, magic and, and others have been. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it's going to come out one day that Quibi was a Ponzi scheme. because <laughs> that, that thing raised so much money to fail so quickly. I know. Like, I, 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 I want to see the books on that. Like, I really, I want to see exactly where the money was allotted. I mean, I, I know they put up some expensive projects and stuff, but I mean, that was, 
really fast. You know that that's going to be a docu-series one of these days or uh, uh, Oscar-winning documentary or something itself just because it's like what what a fast, uh, you know, rats, you know, expectations and then just the crash all within a really compact period of time. What but was, was that was that really just like something that just got caught up in the pandemic was Quibi just a terrible idea or yes. <laughs> I, I think there's a little of, of uh, the pandemic didn't help them, but the reality is, you know, if people want short form content and this is targeted at, you know, this is one of those things where it's like adults or, you know, fully grown up, maybe middle-aged to past middle-aged people trying to, intuit what young people are going to be interested in. And it just doesn't always work that way. Plus the, so yeah, it, it Quibi is quick bites meant for moments in between your busy day. And obviously there wasn't, there weren't busy days for too many people during <laughs> no. the pandemic. But beyond that, it's like if people want short form entertainment for, you know, quick periods in between what they're doing, they're already, watching incrementally Netflix or they're watching YouTube or Twitch or they're doing all kinds of, they didn't need this. So the idea that you were going to have something targeted at young people who were then going to be asked to pay for it, they couldn't even get people to sign up when it was free on a trial subscription base. So, but you know, at the same time, I don't want to be too dismissive because I know that, you know, beyond everybody talks about Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman at the top, but there were a lot of very talented creative executives at that place who, I think with what probably took that model as far as it could go, but it's just I'm not sure that it was ever there was demand for it. Yeah, I was going to say it felt. I mean, obviously the people involved with this are very good at what they do, yeah. but it just it just felt like a really expensive product that nobody was asking for, exactly, you know, like or or that there wasn't really need for. But you know that notwithstanding, you, you had touched on it a little bit. LeBron's taste in what he looks to do is very good. I mean, you know, we will we, see exactly how this, uh, as he said today, not sequel to Space Jam ends up looking. But yeah. like Survivor's Remorse, for example, that was a legit, that was a really good show. And, and, you know, it reflects, I think he's very serious about this and he's pretty methodical about the way he goes about doing it. I think it's, you know, it's sort of in the way that it was with Kobe again, just that you, when you do something, you do it 100%. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, do your homework and you really learn your uh, learn what you're doing. And I think that, I mean, I, I know we'll come to Kobe, but I just want to say one of the things that really struck me about him when I first met him to do the podcast, which was the beginning of short, but kind of a uh, uh, memorable interactions over, over that award season was that he didn't have on the walls of his office. And I think it was Manhattan beach. They didn't have um, uh, pictures of, Julius Irving or, you know, Kareem, they had pictures. He had pictures of, uh, as I recall, Walt Disney. And, um, you know, I'm trying to remember some of the, I think Einstein, you know, just an assortment of people who, uh, Steve Jobs, who were outside the box, creative thinkers, who he said, you know, were his heroes as much, if not more than the basketball players who he grew up, you know, aware of as well. So uh, I think, it's it's something that you probably have to have in you um, to begin with, and then you know they had the re- they both have resources and whatever to to run with it. But there are plenty of athletes, as you know and I know, who make a fortune and then 
have no idea what to do with it and often blow it. These guys are methodical. You, do you, I'm sorry, Andy, I was just going to say, like, do you, I mean, you, this is not your first day, um, you know, covering the world of entertainment. Is it different? Do you feel it's different now for, you know, quote unquote, outsiders, whether it's Kobe, whether it's LeBron, people who come in from a different place um, in terms of how they're regarded inside the industry? Are they taken more seriously? What What is different now than it used to be? I, I think it's still a case by case. And it's interesting because that one of the movies that's a, a factor in this unusual Oscar season is is called One Night in Miami. And it's about this uh, a sort of imagined evening that, or you know, the the people actually met up. This was after the first uh, Cassius Clay at that point, Liston <laughs> fight in Miami in '64, I believe. And that night after the fight, future Muhammad Ali, uh, Malcolm X, um, Sam, Sam Cook, and and Jim Brown, the football player turned actor all got together and hung out that night. And there were a lot of the film imagines what those com that conversation entailed. But the fact is Jim Brown was an early example of somebody who, you know, managed to morph from a, a being a star athlete into a, for a per brief period of time, a very successful guy in the entertainment industry. Um, you know, there are others who have briefly done it. I think Namath for a while and certain others, but, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I think the thing that's sad, one of the many sad things about Kobe is I think he was just getting started. I mean, this was his yeah, first yeah. movie right. and he wins an Oscar. Now, granted, he surrounded himself with incredible people. John Williams did the score. Uh, <laughs> this guy, Glenn Keane, who did a lot of the great Disney animated movies, sure. did the animation. But, uh, you know, that's the same could be said for... Uh, people like Jeffrey Katzenberg pre Quibi and you know, you surround yourself with great people Spielberg in his case or whoever. And you know, you can go far if you're smart enough to do that and to keep people on board. So I, I uh, you know, the thing that kind of I'll never forget is leaving that podcast uh, meeting that first day. He didn't, you know, normally a, a talent who I've interviewed though at the end of the thing, when we were still doing things in person, you know, they say thank you and they move on their way. He said, come on into the other room. I want to show you something as I was leaving. Couldn't believe it. So he said and he showed me storyboards all over his walls of the movies that they had planned or the ideas wow. that he had planned for future movies. And then another thing, which I believe has been reported in pieces, but he much like. MJ with The Last Dance told me he had a crew film his yeah. final season. And they were going to hold on to that again, like The Last Dance for a little while, you know, let it let it marinate, let people, you know, it would be, I guess he felt it would be more interesting um, to come back to it. But that's out there. That's going to happen at some point. Yeah, and it's going to be really fascinating to see exactly what becomes of that footage and how it's put together and how it's presented. Because, you know, Kobe famously had that documentary for Showtime, Muse, that initially he had Deepak Chopra's son. I, believe, I can't remember his name, um, the son. But oh, it's Gotham. Gotham, thank you. Uh, Gotham Chopra was the director of it. And Kobe saw a cut of it and said, no, we're redoing this whole thing. And he was much more hands-on with it. Yeah. And it's not surprising. I mean, yeah. if you ever spent any time around Kobe, he was very yeah. methodical and, and 
perfection. You know, yeah, perfection. I mean, it just for better and for worse at times, right. depending on the situation. And trying to present this without him is, I think, going to be a unique challenge for whoever's involved with it, whether filmmakers that he would have trusted, right. Vanessa Bryant. I mean, like, I, I don't know who it would be, but I mean, you want to talk about a daunting task. I, exactly. And I, I, ugh, I don't even know. I, I would assume they'd have to, and they'd want to involve Vanessa and depending on how long this takes, maybe the, some of the, the older. Right. Uh, but um, you know, I, I know he was excited for that to happen. He said, you know, that that would, that was something they were absolutely already beginning to, to think about and work on, but it wasn't going to come out for a little while. And there was just masses of footage and I'm very, very excited to see it at some point. And these are some photos really quickly of you and Kobe after the interview. You um, are just for, for people to know you're the one on the right. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we might we need a we need to scroll. I, did, I didn't have time, Scott. You sent these kind of last. It's, one of, my, it's one of my favorite things, like in the newspaper would be like Kobe Bryant is like yes. Scott Feinberg, right? <laughs> right, I know. I know. <laughs> Basketball star Kobe Bryant, just in case there was any confusion. And, that was and, Sorry, yeah, I was going to say, and these are fantastic. This is uh, you and Kobe at the Oscars. Um, first, you, Kobe, and Vanessa. I, I assume on the red carpet. Exactly. Um, Again, I, I saw. Let me just, if if you want to go back for one second, only because uh, that first one was the day of the podcast, which was the first media hit that he did in promotion of Dear Basketball. And and what had happened was I caught wind that there was this little short. I don't even normally cover shorts until there's an Oscar shortlist announced. But of course, when I heard there's a Kobe short, I, and I knew the, uh, I reached out to the PR folks and I was like, look, I believe let's get the Oscar buzz going. Can we have <laughs> you're, podcast? You're, willing to, you're willing to compromise. Like I was willing to compromise. Scott Feinberg doesn't get out of bed for a short, <laughs> but you know, in this case, <laughs> well, they were, they were cool. I was like, look, we do, uh, on each episode is a career retrospective. We go through the whole life and career, obviously up to and including the project they're promoting if that's something that they'd be open to doing it's a nice way to maybe launch the awareness that this is out there so i did it he was very excited about the idea that there was any kind of uh prospect for the movie but i don't think he really bought into the belief that uh it could go anywhere but i said to him you know your biggest obstacle is going to be to make the shortlist essentially to get through the the way the nominations process the way the oscar process works is the there's a branch of the academy you know there's actors there's the director's branch but the for for his film they were going to have to get shortlisted by the short film slash feature animation branch and those guys are you know on the one hand they love i think glenn Keane is their kind of you know in, he's a veteran of their craft but on the other hand kobe was in a sense an outsider and they kind of are not always welcoming, you know, they don't want a celebrity to kind of, they don't like the idea that a celebrity can show up and kind of walk into something. So I was like, if you get, you can argue he jumped the line a bit. Yeah. You jump. But I was like, if you get, if you know, the, the animation's beautiful, the score's beautiful. The story is nice. If you can get shortlisted and if you can somehow get nominated, you're going to win. Oh yeah. Because then with the, the, in the crazy logic of the Academy, only at that point, once the nominations are decided, does everybody get to pick the winner in every category? So even though, you know, a visual effects artist has no idea 
why should they be weighing in on screenwriting, for instance, or you know anything like that? That's just the way it works. So I, I was like, listen, the vast majority of the academy is based in LA. You're the most popular person in LA, with the possible exception of Vince Scully. Uh, you get nominated, you're gonna win. And partly, uh, certainly, the the film was excellent, but also you're Kobe you know, Bryant. The way it works. So I told him that on the first day, and then each time. So the second photo you showed was a Q&A when they were then promoting it. Uh, that's Glenn Keane in the middle. They were starting to kind of beat the drum a little bit more. I think he started to believe in that if, you know, if they promoted the movie a bit, it could go somewhere. And then the next one was on the red carpet at the Oscars. And they had a really cool campaign because I remember the movie was put out by uh, a, a company called Go90, which was a division of Verizon, which yeah. no longer exists. But um what they managed to do was get the Lakers on the, on the day that Kobe's jerseys plural were retired. They first opened that halftime ceremony by playing the entirety of deer basketball on the jumbotron. So everybody now knew what deer basketball was. You heard him reading the story of his life essentially. And then he got that and it went on and on. It was just great because each step along the way, you know, he kind of started to believe I wasn't full of crap because, you know, he was seeing it happen. So there was at the Oscars with Vanessa. And then that was going into the Oscars. The next one that I think you have is right after he won. And we were this was just as he was going to get it. That's you on the right. That's me on the right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to get it engraved. Uh, and I happened to see him as he was going in. It's sort of like a backstage space. And you know, when they give you the Oscar, nobody except the accountants knows who's won until they open the envelope. So what they do is they give, they have Oscars ready and they just give it to whoever's been called up to the stage. But then the guy after the show, the winners take their Oscar to get their own, you know, name engraved. So that was him going in. But what I really, you know, won't forget about Kobe was again, at that point, if not earlier, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, thanks and good luck with goodbye and good luck. But from stopping and chatting on the red carpet on the way in to, um, you know, all, all different things. He then had a reception that he hosted like maybe a month or two after the Oscars where he just people who had been supportive or whatever randos like myself, but also, you know, industry people, the people from go 90, um, publicists, people who don't get thanked, it haven't been thanked in years of doing this. He had a reception, he and Glenn, where they brought their Oscars and they posed with each person with the Oscars, which you'll see there. It's another one. And they just thanked everybody. And it was, I have video of it. I mean, it was, he was a class act in that sense. I understand he has a complicated legacy in, in a certain sense. But as far as I ever saw, he was a, a terrific guy. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I listened back to, um, the podcast that you did with Kobe that we were talking about in, in preparation uh, for today. And I, when he told that story about how he, he had met John Williams, like sought him out a few years or probably about eight or 10 years before he eventually collaborated with him for Deer Basketball. Mm -hmm. And it was because he wanted to talk with John Williams about basically how he blended music, how he would take like different, sections, you know, the, the horns, the winds, the percussion, 
and get them all to blend together and to try to see if he could use that uh, that perspective when it came to blending things on a basketball court and, right. and trying to make things work that way. And just the way Kobe sought out that perspective years ago, Brian and I did an interview with David Gelb. Um, he's a, yeah, you know, who he is a, but for people who don't, he's a, both a documentary and a feature film director. Um, and he did a documentary called Jiro Dreams it's of Sushi. Absolutely. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I've never it, wanted to eat more after watching a documentary than that. I don't I even was, eat sushi and I was. Oh my God. It is gorgeous. Love, yeah. If you've yeah. never seen it, it is a gorgeous movie with gorgeous food. It, it's Absolutely. fantastic. And, you know, Jiro is this legendary sushi maker. He's considered the greatest sushi maker in the world. And David Gelb told us this story about how out of nowhere, he got a call from Kobe. And in the beginning, he was like, you know, someone's like Kobe on line two. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> bullshit. What are you? And they're like, right. no, Kobe is on line two. He wants to, or whatever, he wants to talk to you. And, Co and Kobe sought out David Gelb because A, he loved the movie and wanted to get, you know, perspective from David Gelb about the, the craft of it. And, you know, just that type of perspective, because Kobe had always been interested in, as he always put it, storytelling. Yeah. But, you know, also, too, like the, the methodical nature of Jiro and, you know, that preparation and things like that spoke to Kobe. And in the case of David Gelb and John Williams, th these were occasions of Kobe doing what he used to always call cold calling. And Brian yeah. and I had this running joke of no, it's, it's not. not it's not cold, cold calling. calling when you do it. Like, <laughs> right. it's cold calling when we do right. it. Right. When I when I call Oprah, that's cold calling. <laughs> but when but you do it, you're Kobe calling. Yeah, Oprah. that's right. It's but, <laughs> but the difference, though, and this is what Brian and I always really admired about Kobe in this sense. Uh, you can keep the dog or the cat up there. It's fine. <laughs> He'll um, be back. He'll be back. But uh, what we always admired about him is he would actually do it. Right. You know, and there, there are a lot of people in his position who wouldn't have done it. Right. And he regularly did things like that and was smart enough to recognize as accomplished as he was and you know, really right. smart as he was and savvy, there were still people that knew things better than him. There are very there are very just there are very few people, Scott, who have access to anybody that they want in the world and actually use it. Exactly. Uh, and that's exactly. that's it's 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 kind of a neat thing. Absolutely. And I, I can tell you that um, you know, it's 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 interesting to see him handle himself amongst other well-known people. Uh, there was one of the most memorable things was they do an, a luncheon for all of the Oscar nominees. And this is before the show. They want to have a, a day where everyone's a winner. And so the Academy hosts it and they introduce each nominee one by one and they give them a certificate. First of all, I've never seen, and I cover that luncheon every year, I've never seen other nominees so excited to meet someone else as oh, when Kobe right. showed up, you know, and he got the loudest ovation. Laura Dern was reading the nominees, like 200 names. And she went, you know, each one is like, you know, just is like at a certain point it gets monotonous, but then she, you know, got giddy when it was, and Kobe Bryant and everybody went nuts. I remember Allison Janney was uh, clamoring to be next to him and she's tall in Hollywood terms, but then you've got Kobe showing up. Um, it was just uh, <laughs> he and he couldn't have been more gracious. I don't know if he really knew or cared about all these people who wanted to meet with him, but he, he presented that, you know, uh, what a thrill to be in a room with other people who are, ex you know, who people who are at the top of this art form at this moment.
here's why I'm guessing, and it's purely a guess, yeah. that he really did. There's that clip that circulated after the Oscars where you see Kobe in line, like you mentioned before, to get his engraved. Yes. And you can see this look on his face like, holy shit, I cannot believe this is happening. Like, Kobe's done a lot. It takes a lot to get that reaction from Kobe. Oh, I will tell you. I, uh, that was not fake. I, uh, you want to know the funny thing is that I snuck into the engraving area and took that video. So you, I know exactly what you're talking about, where <laughs> his wife is there and he's the, the guy shows him the engraved Oscar for the first time. And he's, you know, like, look, you just couldn't, you couldn't believe it. Now I was off in a corner. I don't, he wasn't playing to the cameras. It was like that. And he said, I think that this was at least as exciting to him as winning a championship. Now, I don't know, maybe because he won so many, he forgot what it was like <laughs> to win the first, but uh, he was, he, to him, it was a, a, a achievement on a par with anything. He, um, and you know, it's just, you, you just wonder what, again, it's the sad thing is how you know, what more could he have done with it? And sneaking into the uh, the backstage, it also explains why you have four Scott Feinberg Oscars behind you. Um, <laughs> we have a, a lot of a lot of Oscar stuff that we want to get into yeah. tonight. Congratulations on your cinematography. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had no idea you you produced a a, a foreign short that was that That's well right. received. That's right. Believe it or not. Um, so yeah, we have a, we have a lot to of Oscar stuff that we want to talk about, uh, including an Oscars game. I have a, an Oscars oh, trivia. Awesome. And, look, Andy Andy takes a great deal of pride in his Oscar knowledge. All right. And I'm I said, you if you've seen the show, you know Scott. We we like to play some games on this. And I said, yep. what kind of game? He's like, how about Oscars trivia? Like, damn. Love the it. guy who does the Oscars for a living. That's I, you know, you set the bar high. And, uh, and I lose to Scott. There's no real shame in this. So no, no, all the pressures on Scott. That is that it'll, is good it'll be fun. That'll be great. Um, but we are we are very, very curious about the Oscars this year, as are a lot of people, including uh little bits of information like what the hell the thing's gonna look like. You reported right. um today that uh at the very least we know who's producing the thing it's uh jesse collins steven soderbergh and, and stacy share can you kind of give us an idea of what what the oscars they're thinking is going to be this year well first of all let's establish that it was originally it's usually february or uh, or early march mm -hmm. and this year they immediately said look we're gonna it's not going to be doable in any recognizable form by then. So we're going to push it back effectively. I think it was two months from their planned date to April 25th, which actually now it, it's probably 50, 50, whether or not they could do any element of it in person by then. Maybe I think that what's likeliest to happen at this point is, is probably a version of what happened with the Emmys where theoretically you could have a host and maybe very socially distanced presenters coming in and out Maybe even you could get the nominees spread out within the the Dolby Theater in Hollywood because it's a thirty or three thousand plus seat theater. You could you could you know I don't know if they want to play with fire and if one person comes out of that with with COVID, uh, it's not it's not good. So I'm guessing though realistically they'll probably have a host and maybe some presenters on site, but the rest of it would be like the Emmys on effectively Zoom. Um, but now the question is just, you know, the the Oscars are going to take it to another level than whatever the Emmys did. That's just 
it's it's another both you know both are ABC productions this year. The Emmys rotates, and it happened to be that it's on ABC, which probably ABC didn't actually mind because it's a dry run for the yeah. the much bigger show. Um, my guess is that the there's no way that they can do it this year without a host, even though the last few years they've abandoned a host. So the question then is, who do you get to do that? Who wants that job in a year when? you know, it's just, you don't have an audience potentially in house and it's going to feel very, it's a, it might no be a audience. Thing. Nothing is funny. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Well, and also exactly. too, I, I would be very concerned if I'm the people planning this and this uh, among the many reasons why I think unless things are just dramatically better, there will not be many, if any people in house is yeah. the optics of doing this when, you know, unfortunately COVID has become so politicized and the the side of listen to the scientists and the doctors and like follow CDC regulations is considered the liberal side now. Yeah. And Hollywood is the left. So if there's anything that looks like you've got these Hollywood stars ignoring CDC regulations so they can get together and celebrate themselves, it's gonna I, I think they're gonna be very, very I think you're absolutely, I mean, you're look, absolutely I'm, right. I'm, reason, I'm pretty liberal myself, yeah. reasonably so, at least compared to much of the country. I think yeah. it's a bad look. <laughs> I 100% agree. And let me tell you, there's nobody who lives for being at the Oscars more than I do. It was like my childhood dream. And I've been, I've been very fortunate to be at each Oscar ceremony since the one in 2012. And I hope to, I, my dream in a sense was to never miss one i want to there's a guy who um worked for the ap named bob thomas who died at a very old age and i think he has the record of like 65 i can't afford to miss any of them if i'm ever going to catch him and yet uh i don't think it's gonna i just i i i don't see it happening too much in in person either without without getting too deep into this rabbit hole i guess yeah. the only award show that i've ever been to and i yeah don't really hold out hopes to be invited to too many more. Uh, Andy and I have covered the ESPYs a few times, including yeah. being in in the theater. And I, it's like I didn't really was that into it or whatever. Is are the Oscars like if you love movies, is the Oscars fun? Is it, I am is not an objective case because I right. don't. I I care about every category. I spend a year, you know every year leading up to the Oscars trying to, I've seen every nominee, I've studied every possible outcome. I'm excited. I love film history. I, so, you know, a lot of people, including nominees get up and go to the bar in the lobby and spend most of the show there. It's not as riveting to them personally, though. I know that at any moment there can be something that will be talked about forever. I mean, there was just uh, from, from a, a tie that I witnessed in the, sound editing category. I mean, yeah, it's a sound editing category. Who's going to really remember, except that there was a tie, which has happened like six times or something in Oscar history. There were people who, uh, people who actually do the job, a version of the job that I do for other places. They thought that it was so over early on a couple of years ago. They, they left before the La La Land moonlight mess up, wow. which is the craziest moment oh. in live TV history. You know, so for me, I have a great time every year. They're like, but the I can see. they're like the people in the parking lot, the Kirk Gibson home run, where you see all the That's brake great. lights in, in, in the, uh, in, in the parking yes. lot. Uh, Se Sector Cruz on the chat has a question for you, Scott. Sure. Are those care packs that they have in the Oscars for the actors as expensive as they say? So first, let's let's establish that 
the academy is not giving out the care any any swag bags or care packs or anything that tends to come from uh sponsors or people who are very invested in you know and they're not going to give it to um you know makeup artist nominees they're going to give it to the recognizable stars and they hope that they will then be photographed that using one strange year where they used they gave it to a uh, best you know feature short or whatever yeah. animated <laughs> short <laughs> one time those nominees yeah. well and it's usually more like what louis ck was joking about the year that I, I think he was introducing like one of the shorts categories and he was like these guys are going home in a Mazda or something like give them yeah, a round of applause. Know. You know, like there, there is a hierarchy even amongst the nominees. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, there's, there's some amazing swag, but it's, it's not, it's done sort of outside of the Academy's auspices. Now, I, I mean, I'm like you in the sense that, I mean, I don't care necessarily that much about like the, the pageantry of the Oscars and, you know, things like that, but I do actually care about them a lot in the sense of them being markers of film history. Yeah. And I, I think this year is going to be really interesting and challenging in a lot of ways because you, you've got, I'm presuming, you know, a slate, however big or maybe even small, of movies that most people, including, I think, a lot of voters, a lot of people in the industry, haven't seen. Like, I, I was looking today at a list of, you know, like front runners and things like that. And there are a lot of movies and performances and stuff that like I'm vaguely aware of. And like, you know, I, I know that they have been made and sort of released, but the overwhelming majority of them I haven't seen. And I figure like, if I'm only vaguely aware of them, the average person's gonna be like, what the hell is, I don't As even know. know. Seven movies have been released in 2020. <laughs> like, well, so here's, here's the thing is that, the the knock on the Oscars over the last twenty years, let's say, has been that they are increasingly uh, on a different, yeah, in a yeah. different universe than the general movie going public. You know, the with the exception of like Avatar and the Lord of the Rings movies, and maybe like one movie a year, they're not really rewarding the same kinds of movies that the public goes in large numbers to see. Uh, Black Panther got some nominations. You know, there's a, there's always a one or Get two, out. but it's get out. Um, but so that's the knock in a normal year this year. The, the, the issue is of course that movie theaters for much of the country have been closed. And therefore a lot of the studios have said, we're just going to hold our big movies because we don't want to put a movie in a theater that can't, um, you know, that can't reach a lot of people. So, uh, and they're, they're not going to make their money back. So more than ever, the movies that are even starting out in the race are, with a very few exceptions like Tenet, not movies that are of any real scale. Now, for people like me and a lot of other people who love the Oscars, that doesn't really bother me because I think the kinds of movies that they normally have been in recent years have been gravitating towards are still there. And in fact, they're there in, in pretty good numbers and pretty quality films. But as you say, the people who are going to have seen them before the Oscars are going to be primarily the people who are in this bubble of the industry. And the way that... You know, the way that it works is that in years past, the studios would send the distributors would send DVD screeners to all the voters this year. They and and really officially starting next year, those are out now. Now they have their own basically their own uh, 
uh, streaming service that Academy members log into and they can see any movie that's that's submitted for the Oscars has to be available uh, on that service. And so starting next year and then this year, most of them are anyway, because again, every, a lot of people are already doing it. Right. So um, the point is the members can see all the ones that are in the mix. The big challenge is going to be um, if those movies are not Netflix, now half, about half of them this year, the major contenders are Netflix movies. So you and I and everybody else can stream those. But, um, you know, the best picture front runner right now is probably a movie called Nomadland, which stars Francis McDormand. Yeah. And it's it's excellent. But it's put out by Searchlight, formerly Fox Searchlight. Searchlight is now it's owned by Disney. But Disney, their streaming service is Disney Plus, which is sort of family-friendly stuff. Uh, that Disney also has Hulu for more adult stuff, and I guess we'll see. That may be where uh, Nomadland ends up. But right now, I don't think they know what to do in terms of getting out to the public the movie that is probably the one to beat for the Oscars. So how many? Just as a, as a frame of reference, yeah. how many? Is, you know, Mank has been kind of you know if you're into movies right now you've probably heard of that it's been you know a lot of stuff on twitter and social media whatever yeah. but it's i mean it's not like a 100 million dollar blockbuster but it's a movie movie people know about yeah. how many people do you think have seen nomadland well again the 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 only people that would have seen it would be people who either uh saw it through one of these film festivals where mm -hmm. it either played in person, which would be like in Venice, I believe was the world right. premiere or a who bought virtual tickets to see it virtually at like, I think, I believe Telluride in Toronto or not Telluride. They didn't even do, I, maybe they did a virtual, I can't remember, but like it would be a very small number. Is, and that, then, is, it, is it a thousand people? Is it right now? It's, I mean, it's probably a, it's probably a few thousand right now. They wow. will, they will. Uh, and, and you know, there, there's always been this decision particularly in the era when Harvey Weinstein hit the scene with good movies, uh, let's not, we'll set aside his other issues, um, that what they really did a lot of was they used the Oscars as a launching pad. So right. what they would do is first qualify the movie where you only have to play for like a week in one theater in New York and L.A. and uh, whatever it was that the, the rules slightly change over the years, but essentially you do a bare bones release, not to try to make money, but just so that you can, you can be eligible to show to the voters who again are going to be primarily the only ones seeing it on screeners or at a screening at that, when it was possible to do that in person, then if the movie's really great and you've made those people feel special that they're among the few who have seen it and you know, you campaign and all of that, and it gets a bunch of nominations, then what they would do is at that point on the back of all the excitement around, you know, 10 nominations for cold mountain or, you know, whatever it might be, then that movie goes out to the general public, which suddenly has a much greater incentive to check it out. So my guess is that for a lot of movies, that is what's going to happen this year. And what they would love more than anything would be for, movie theaters to be in a position to reopen, you know, shortly after the Oscars. So maybe in May when there's still heat from having won, right. You know, and, and I mean, this was, if you look at what happened this earlier this year, the movie that won best picture was a Korean language uh, movie with no household names, parasite. But when it, when it did so well at the Oscars, you then look at its, uh, 
financial trajectory, commercial trajectory, and it exploded it because right. people do still, you know, you hear the movie's the best picture. A lot of people do want to see that. It was a so, great movie. Great movie, yeah. So even, you know, pre-Oscars, that would have been a much tougher sell to to American the American public. But so there's still an incentive for these guys to lobby for Oscar nominations, Oscar wins, because I guess primarily with the hope that theaters, but if if, if not even theaters, then streaming uh, for sale, that that could happen soon after the date of April 25th. Yeah, it's funny. You uh, there's a recent issue. Uh, there's a recent episode of Awards Chatter with uh, Delroy Lindo. You did a very long form, really, really good interview. He's so cool. Um, it's he's he's a hell of a talker, man. He's great. Um, and it, it struck me like how much that interview because he's he's doing the rounds uh, for the Five Bloods, the Spike Lee movie that came out um, around mid year for Netflix and. Right. He's gotten rave reviews, deservedly, like yep. one of the best reviews he's ever had. And, you know, Delroy Lindo is somebody that's been around a long time. I don't believe has ne ever been nominated before. Mm -hmm. And it, it felt like an encapsulation of like everything that's going on now because the movie was mid-year. And sometimes that's a period where stuff gets forgotten. But then again, like you've got a year where nothing has really come out. So maybe it's more front of mind and he's become like a gif. But at the same time, it's like, can he do the typical campaigning? And then I just also started wondering, like, how will people regard the winners period of this period, you know, in this space we're in right now, just because it might be a lighter slate? Is that lack of familiarity? Like, you start wondering, is this going to turn into the, the equivalent of the asterisk debate? For champions, you know, I was just going to say, it's like, you know, it's our yeah. our, our L.A. sports teams this year. Um I look, I think that on the one hand, everyone knows it's a weird, unusual year, but uh, they still had to make the movie and do the work. And if it gets recognized, ultimately what people remember is who won um, or, you know, if anything, they remember that you, you know, your obituary 60 years from now is going to begin Oscar winner, not Oscar winner in the year of a pandemic that was a little bit made the year a little thin. So uh but look, there's a lot of weird extenuating circumstances this year. Delroy Lindo is fabulous, but Delroy Lindo is now likely to lose in that category of best actor to the star of another Netflix movie called uh, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Chadwick the late Jones. Chadwick Boseman, who died this year. And so that's another uh, kind of crazy thing that's going to be in the, in the equation this year that you have a beloved actor in his prime, one of the top stars in Hollywood, uh, a, a comic book movie star, star of Oscar kinds of movies before. Terrific actor, man. Terrific actor who a lot of people who have seen this movie, I would say myself included, think it's the best he ever did as an actor. And Well, the source material is fantastic. Exactly. It's really, really good. Exactly. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the storylines this year. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of weird things where, you know, Glenn Close a couple of years ago, everybody in the world thought she was going to win for the wife. She ended up and she's the most nominated person was already, I think, tied at that point. Most nominated person to most nominated performer who had not won. Yeah, she by the way, dropping these little nuggets that make me think you're going to get your ass kicked in the uh, trivia contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Glenn, you said 
about 11 things that are actually in the quiz already. I mean, that's my own <laughs> dumb idea, but anyway. We'll, we'll you, better, you better clean up in the parts that aren't actually about the Oscars, but are about people <laughs> named Oscar, which is part of the quiz. Well, anyway, we, we, I don't want, I don't mean to ramble either, but just like, you know, it's, it's a, I have, I can tell you from, from my workload for whatever it's worth, it doesn't feel like a thin year for Oscars. It's, I know that the public has yet to really, have the opportunity to um, catch up with everything, but it's there's good stuff this year. It's a it's not a bad year. Uh, does that include uh, the Nathan Mark wants to know Robert Downing uh, Robert Downing's Doctor Doolittle movie? Uh, you know, I, I can't speak to the Razzies at this point. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> different, different one. Andy's question though does kind of. Was there any consideration to just not having them this year because there, you know, lack of theatrical releases, the lack, so many movies being held, the the calendar change? Did they ever consider just saying not this year? I don't think so for a number of reasons. First of all, there were that would upset the people who did do great work this year um, because where what they just fell between the the sofa, you know, seats in a sense, if that's what happens, that's not fair to them. It's also, I think ABC pays a lot of money to broadcast the Oscars each year. And even if it's a diminished audience, it's still the most watched award show. And I, you know, up there with any live event, the Super Bowl and things like that uh, of anything in the, in the year. So uh, also the Academy, you know, they, they need to, um, you know, if other shows are doing their stuff this year, it would be weird for the Academy not to. So I, I know that in some ways it, it there are people who say, you know, why are we talking about the Oscars in the middle of a pandemic? There are people dying. There's there are far more important things. But at the same time, you know, you can go back to the Great Depression. And uh, a lot of people said for the rest of their lives that movies helped them to kind of escape from their troubles or whatever. And uh, it takes your mind off things. And and look, the movies are in a tough spot also without uh, the Oscars going away. We've got, and we may get to this at some point that this week might've been the, the death knell of movie theaters with what Warner brothers has decided to do in terms of. Yeah. Well, just that essentially, um, you know, for, for years, movie theaters have insisted that there be a 90 day window of exclusivity that, there, a movie opens in theaters. It cannot be on streaming or or uh, DVD or anything else for 90 days so that they have a chance to make some money and stay alive. Um, that window is obviously – well, with a pandemic that shut a large number of theaters, The there are movies that um, – like take James Bond, for instance. There's a Bond movie this year where the longer they don't – uh, pay off their costs of having made the movie. They accumulate interest that adds to what they what what they're out of pocket. Essentially, they got to get their movie out there. Now, Bond has not yet blinked, but what Warner Brothers did, where they have their first, they did it with Wonder Woman two, and now they've done it with their entire slate of twenty twenty one movies. Is they're saying we are going to open the movie on the same day in theaters that will still take us and on our streaming platform of HBO max. And it's, they, they framed it as like, look, this is something we're doing because we're in a pandemic. But once you let that cat out of the right. bag, it's not going back and theater owners, you know, once one studio does this, 
it's just a matter of time probably before the others do it. And it's just, it's going to be very hard for movie theaters um, as we know them, the big chains that, that to survive in this way. I, you know, I do a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, kind of on the side, you know, yeah. man's got to make a living here. Um, it looks a lot at, um, you know, tech and the, you know, and, and things like that. And, and, and the, the impacts of the pandemic on sort of already present trends, like a lot of things people have talked about as a result of the pandemic, whether it's automation, you know, machine learning, all these different things are things that were going on and have been accelerated by the pandemic. And it yep. seems like theaters have been on that track for a while where if you start to take away things like, you know, Marvel tentpole movies and, and all that kind of star Wars and all these other things, most people seem for smaller movies or movies that didn't need to be seen on a big screen or whatever it is, are doing more of that at home anyway. So I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was going to be my question is like, is this something that was happening before and will continue to something that was accelerated by the pandemic, which I guess you've already addressed, but then what happens to that now are still people still going to want to go see wonder woman on a big screen, but do you need to see mank on a big screen? I think you nailed it. I think it's, um, you know, what's, what's probably likeliest to happen is that things will go back to the way they were before, Jaws and the sort of era of the blockbuster, which, which, where you opened a movie on 3000 screens and, um, you had the need for multiplexes and all that before that you had essentially a neighborhood movie house that would show one movie or maybe two or, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't 12 and it would be, a, you know, the, the difference now is that the movies that people will pay to go and see in a movie theater are probably, the avatar scale movies or right. wonder woman scale movies, they are not going to, it's, it's much harder to sell something to the public when you're asking for, uh, you know, the, the, the cost has just become prohibitive for a lot of families to have in big cities, 20, $25 tickets. Then you got to get a babysitter for the kids. You got to pay a fortune for popcorn and drinks. You got to pay for parking. It's just, and then you get there and you have to sit through 40 minutes of commercial of trailers that you don't want to necessarily see. You've got some jerk in front of you texting, lighting up their phone every minute. It's Maybe. not become a political, yeah, or, or, or ranting or whatever. It's, it's not a pleasant experience in the way that I think it, it, it was. And so it's going to, it's going to change and this will accelerate it. I know I've had, you know, I, I haven't been to, it's rare. I get to go to movies you know, as a grown up, but like I, I will take the kids and stuff. My kids like my kids love movies. We do movie night every Friday. They want to watch yeah. a movie on Saturday, but they're also content to do it at home. And they, they like going to the theater, but the theater experience for them isn't some packed thing where everybody's communal. Cause we go, uh, you know, we, we go down to the theater, you know, where we can get in cheaper. We get, generally go early. It's not a packed crowd and they like the snacks. Yeah. <laughs> it's really what it is. Right. And so they'll go see it in a big screen if they, if they get it for the right movie, it's fun. But I have had people say like, Oh my God, like Disney plus charged, I guess what it was $35 or something for Mulan. That seems so expensive. I'm like, not if you have more no. than one kid and not no, if exactly. you give them a treat or a snack. And now if you have a decent TV at home, exactly. I mean, like, I, mean like, I think the economics of it, like you say that that's, 
more than anything, I think, is what drives people away from theaters. I mean, yeah. I know, obviously, it, it, like Brian said, I, I've got a child, too. And, you know, once you have a kid and you know, you've got a job, stuff like that, you, you, your schedule gets affected in ways that could uh, prevent you from going to the theater as much. But I know that, like, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, I would I'd see a lot of stuff in the theaters. And I would go see a lot of stuff that, you know, I was like, eh, it looks all right, but you know, or whatever, you know, what the hell, why not? Cause it's like, all right, six bucks. And if I don't right. like it, you know, like a $6 matinee, who cares? Right. Pro yeah, movie theater prices now, they, they've, they've started reaching a point where it's like, you don't feel like it's frivolous cash, nope. you know, it's like where you don't feel as inclined to just say, well, if I don't like it, I don't like it. It's like, I don't want to spend 35 bucks to find out that I didn't like a movie that's going to be on cable in seven months. This coming I, from I $90 on Onward, which I, we actually liked at home, but 90 yep. bucks. I mean, I remember Scott, when you used to go to the movies because you didn't have money to spend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was something to do. Exactly. And, um, you know, I, I think that money is certainly a part of it, but look, even when people during that brief window, when movie pass another quibby, like uh blow flame out when that was, going strong and people could go and see as many movies as they wanted for a relatively reasonable amount of money. They still, the reason that they took a shot at that model was they know that even when you have the ability to go as often as you want, people, they just are increasingly uh, not interested in, in going to the movies and sitting there for that long a period of time when they right. can do it on their phone or they can, there's the internet that look, you're talking about the early two uh, thousands and the nineties there were fewer, you know, there were still, we had video games and things, but there were fewer um, distractions. You didn't have a phone in your pocket uh, all the time either. So I think that, you know, if you talk to a kid today in elementary school or junior high school or whatever, um, there, there's just not the same interest in movie going to a movie theater that we had as kids. And I think also, just the whole world has changed. I, to me, you went to the movies for a date or, or things like that. Yeah. It's don't even, I, I don't want to sound like, like an old guy, like kids today or whatever, but I don't get the sense that that's what, <laughs> uh, let's talk about these kids, kids today. Go to, the movies to, to date. If I don't think kids date, it's like hook up and whatever. Oh, There's no only necking. That's the yeah, only exactly. reason. Now that the drive-ins are back now that maybe that'll come back, but, uh, yeah, but Am I the only person who grew up confused? I mean, I don't even know if anybody or old enough now. I like, but like, it took me a while to even understand what necking was. Like, yeah. what, what, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> Explains uh, about a lot about your lacking social life back then. I struggled with. I'm not going to lie. I was not. Um, before before we get <laughs> before we get to the game, I, there's a question I wanted to ask uh, regarding awards chat, um, which. If people aren't subscribing, they should. It's Thanks. really great, in very, very in-depth interviews with a lot of really heavy hitters around Hollywood. And because you get a lot of really good guests, you often get pretty extensive filmographies. And you, the way your show is set up, you really go through, start to finish, people's careers and their filmographies. And you only have so much time to cover a lot of ground. How do you strike the balance in terms of what you want to ask between the stuff that's sort of the greatest hits, most accessible to a lot of listeners to, I'm personally interested in this. I don't know if anybody else is. 
Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I, um, I think that essentially I map out all the questions that I might want to ask and then really kind of keep an eye on the clock uh, and make, you know, game time or in the moment calls about is, am I going to have enough time to go as, as in depth as I would like to on certain things or, you know, but um, I think it's, it is, it's also in the wording of it. I mean, I, today I did one with this, this 91 year old, a uh, great documentary filmmaker, Frederick Wiseman. And at the end I was running out of time, but I had some things I wanted to ask that, you know, I just kind of wove a couple questions together and, you know, you do what you have to do to make it work. But um, I think that it's a, uh, it's always a, it's a, it's a in the moment call about how to, what to, what you can afford to lose. Well, the good news is like the recent one, like I uh, was talking about with Delroy Lindo, he just talks. He was great. So, yeah. I mean, he, he actually gave you a lot. Uh, you he you did. could have left a few points and, and he just <laughs> kept going. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, he was great. Thank you for, for listening. Yeah. That was good stuff. Um, all right. Who's going to keep you forever because we, yeah. we have a tendency to do that. Um, <laughs> let's, let's get to this. This is Oscars trivia. As uh, Andy just mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the Oscars are your, your game awards strata podcast. This is what you cover for the Hollywood reporter. Um, Andy is a bold man. Okay. Uh, takes his Oscars trip, beats the crap out of me in Oscar stuff all the time, but like, nah, it's not that impressive. So what I have in front of me to try to make it a little more fair is not just trivia about the actual Oscar ceremony and Oscar winners, but also it also includes people named Oscar. <laughs> so the answers will be uh, based on the, the awards or somebody named Oscar. Um, your name is your buzzer. So if you know it, just shout out your name. And uh, there are going to be a lot of bonus options. But this is the, the points are going to be flying around here. And right, my right. sincere hope is that Andy loses like 7,000 to nothing. Well, it's going to be poorly scored no matter what if there's that many. <laughs> That's true. All right. So I, you once you get it right, you can sort of control the board. And I will tell you, you'll have options for, uh, okay. for bonus points. And then somebody can steal them. And it's this is going to be fantastic or a disaster. I don't know. Okay. Here we go. There are three movies that have won a, a record 11 Oscars. Name them. Scott. Scott. Titanic. Yes. All about Eve. No. Excuse me. Well, okay. Sorry. You go ahead, no, Andy. I, I know. No, so I... You, can you name the third one? And Andy can steal. Well, I know Andy can... her. Uh huh. Titanic. Andy, I, I screwed up, Andy. You can. Okay. So Scott gets two points. Andy, you can steal the point. What is the other one? Oh, geez. I, I wasn't expecting to have this opportunity. I just knew it wasn't all about Eve. Um, I'm not going to give you a point for knowing with that. There are a lot of movies that aren't the answer. So it's 11, it's 11 wins. 11 wins. Titanic and Ben-Hur? Yes. Is the other one, it happened one night? It is not. It is Lord of the Rings Return. I was going to okay. oh. come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should have had that. It's okay. You're up to nothing. Don't worry about it. This musical owns the record for the most Oscar wins. This musical owns the record for the most Oscar wins for a musical, to be more specific. For a musical. For a yep. musical. Andy. Sound of Music? That is incorrect. All right. Um, Very well received, though. I think. Oh, it's a life less ordinary. <laughs> I, I, it's not. Is it My Fair Lady? It is West Side Story. Right, right, right. God, I was going to give you a hint and tell you I was in it in high school, but I don't know if that would have helped. <laughs> nice. Who'd you play? <laughs> um, 
As Dave Chappelle famously said of him, you'd be unpleasant too if you lived in a trash can. <laughs> Andy. Oscar the Grouch. Oscar the Grouch. It's two oh, to oh, one. Oh, oh, there okay. we go. See, it can be somebody named Oscar as well. I think Scott thought you were answering the question about West Side Story. That was no. fair. Let's see here. Oops, I accidentally deleted the wrong question. 1977's The Turning Point and this 1985 film share the record yeah. for 11, Scott. I know this one. Color Purple. Purple, the uh, <laughs> most nominations without actually winning anything. Scott now up three to one. Um, I sort of see where this is going. He's the most he's most famous now for playing Poe Dameron in the last three movies of the Star Wars franchise. Andy. Andy. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Sticking in there. Andy knows a lot about people named Oscar, less <laughs> about the Oscars. <laughs> Come on, De La Hoya. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are only so many people in yes. the world named Oscar. <laughs> All About Eve, Titanic, and this movie share the record for Oscar nominations with 14. This is where you yeah. were going, Scott, but this is the only one that didn't win Best Picture. La La Land. La La Land, four to two. It briefly won. Yeah. <laughs> 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 really close. Yes. Didn't actually get to keep Best Picture, no, I guess no. would have been the better way of right, saying it. Right, right. This professional boxer won 11 titles Andy. in six. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya. There you go. Now I've got to try to guess, like, so which Oscar and Felix? Can we, are you going to come with something to do with that? From, I can't we'll see. Give away the, I cannot uh, give away the game. Really, While Meryl Streep has been nominated a record 21 times, she's only won three. This actress has won a record four. Name her. Got it. Catherine Scott. Hepburn. I will take got it as an answer. Um, bonus point time, Scott. Can you name the movies yes. that she's won for? Morning Glory, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Lion in Winter, and On Golden Pond. Wow. <laughs> and you have just jumped out to a nine Boy. to three lead. That was impressive. My advice to anybody playing this game, know the one where you get four bonus points. <laughs> oh, wait, I don't, till I don't get, feel... wait till we get to the, uh, I got another one coming where this Ooh. could really get ugly. Ooh. Uh, this Irish playwright is known for works like Andy. Salome and the, Andy. Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Nice. Very good. Andy dominating the people oh, yes. named Oscar category, <laughs> but losing in the actual game. Uh, this South African Oscar is both a Paralympian gold medalist and a guy who was convicted of murdering his wife. Andy. Oh, yeah. Andy. Uh, Pistorius. Oscar Pistorius. Really we should be playing two games here. <laughs> no, it's not Jeopardy. We did right. we did Jeopardy the other last week with uh, Lindsay Jones. You say what is on Golden Pond? Yes, right, right. I'm right. telling you, like when we did, I tried to come up with all. I tried to come up with like a Hollywood game of things that rhyme with Feinberg, and all I could come up with was you, Lieutenant Weinberg, and it was a one question game. So, I appreciate um, Daniel Day Lewis has won Best Actor three times. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> <laughs> true i'll give you a point true <laughs> okay jack nicholson has uh three oscars to his name name the movies that daniel day lewis has won for got it Scott. okay so my left foot yes there will be blood yes and lincoln yes i did know bonus that. bonus for scott can you name the three God. That Jack Nicholson yeah. is one for Jesus. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh huh. Terms of endearment and yes. as good as it gets. Yep. And yeah. that is the end of the game. Scott, fifteen <laughs> to six. 
really I think dominated. the scoring's a little out. Those should be within. I, I won't. I think it was a lot closer than that. Andy, did. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brian, you will attest. I actually know those. Like, I actually know. Those. I have no evidence that you know those because Scott <laughs> answered the questions and you didn't. I heard not. I didn't hear anything that you said, like Andy, and then you said my left foot and all those other. Scott told me the answer. There will be blood. Is two thousand seven, I believe. That's right. There wasn't. A, that wasn't my question. <laughs> 2007 for as good as it gets. Okay, Andy, Andy, what what years did Jack Nicholson win? I'll give you three points if you can tell me those. 75, 83, 2007. 97. Oh, 97. Damn it. Yeah. Oh, Scott gets another point. 16, <laughs> 16 to 9. <laughs> oh, man. See, don't be greedy. Just take your L and move along. Otherwise, we're going to have to keep. Well, I got two extra points to Scott's one extra. So Wait, so I, I got a question for you guys. Sure. What, so what do you make of the all the different moves this week with the Lakers? How do we feel going into uh, I'm next? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're excellent. Okay, good. No, good. I, they are. They are. Um, we actually, this is this, the, the title of, of a podcast we did, I don't know, 10 days ago or whatever was like, basically the Lakers took a championship team and made it better in a week yeah, yeah. when they did, when they, the Schroeder starting with the Schroeder trade. And then you add Harold who was, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think, and I think Andy agrees like exactly how he fits, but he's really good. And, you know, they add another 18 point guy. Um, I love the Marcus Saul thing. Wes Matthews is a, at worst, I think, a straight swap for for Danny Green. Bringing back KCP was huge. Yeah, yeah. And you guys saw KCP seventy seven on the ESPN Top One Hundred. I happen to think rankings are kind of dumb, even when they paid us to do those things and contribute. <laughs> they don't mean anything. But the idea, like three or four years ago, Scott, that Contavious Caldwell Pope would be on a list of the hundred best players in the NBA. God bless him, man. That's awesome. Hey, it's 2020. Anything's possible. <laughs> well, the, the Lakers uh, slow played rather expensively that one, but it, it worked. It worked out well, man. I mean, it ended up paying itself off. It's a great story. KCP's a good dude. Yeah. Um, it, it worked out well. Um, so you actually, I asked you about this. You you are uh, an East Coast native, and you tend to yeah. root for the New York teams. But ex although you root for the New York teams if they're up against the LA teams. Right. But otherwise, you root for all the LA teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm I so I grew up in New Haven, which you know is sort of just on the Yankees side of the Yankees Red Sox divide there, and Knicks and Giants and uh, Rangers. Um, and I grew up when they were actually you know all pretty good. Um, it's been a little harder to be a Knicks when fan. The, recently. I'm sorry. When I, were the I, Knicks I good? I'm, <laughs> well, I'm just trying you to. You know, what was that a thing? Competitive with. Ewing and Starks and Oakley. That, that period. Oh, okay. That uh, kind of know Ben Lyons. If you want to get together and commiserate, I know Ben. Yeah, Ben. We. I. I mean, poor guy's been put through. He really still is invested. I. I have a hard time watching the Knicks, but. Um. But yeah, I mean, to me, unless the Lakers are or the Dodgers, you know, if they're as long as they're not playing the Yankees, I live in L.A. I get to go see. I love going. Um. So of course I'm gonna root for those guys, except if we come up against uh, my boys, the Yanks. That's fair. That's yeah. absolutely fair. Um, Awards Chatter Podcast. It's great stuff. Really, really Thank good in-depth interviews. Um, you can read Scott's work. The Hollywood Reporter. We, we've been fans of yours for a while, so we're really glad we it's, got this fun. I really mutual. appreciate you doing Thank it. you guys for uh, for having me, and uh, I, I look forward to following your 
thoughts through the rest of this freaking pandemic. Yeah, yeah I, we'll, we'll we'll definitely be giving you a call when the these nine movies that have been released this year are in the Oscar pool, so we can we can try to win something. You owe me because I, you know, maybe look good here. Absolutely, yeah, really. Andy's not invited to that show. It's just you and me. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to that. This show. is a family matter. I'm not going to get in the middle. <laughs> All right, tomorrow, Darius Soriano. We're going to do uh, some Laker deep dive in with the season uh, up uh, upcoming. Also Thursday. We interviewed um, a director, Bernardo Ruiz. He's got a great 30 for 30 uh, coming up. It, what is the name of the movie, Brian? I'm blanking The out. Infinite Race. Infinite Race. Um, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It really is really, great. Really good. And then Friday, more NBA, Sean Hyken. Uh, again, uh, Scott Feinberg. Make sure also, too, in addition to subscribing to the Awards Chatter Podcast, you are subscribing to both Lando Lakers and the podcast version of this show, Late night happy hour. See everyone tomorrow. Donkey Needle on.